So today I'm speaking about the call. As my photo up there shows, you know, typically today we always think about the call coming through the phone, right? For example, the call to be in the military. Some of you men and women served. Uh, we have a young man who's presently in boot camp. Uh, keep Michael in your prayers. But he felt the call to go and to serve this country. God bless him. Amen? In Gaylord, we have a destination that's known as... That's in Gaylord? Where is that? In Gaylord, we have a destination <laughs> that's called Call of the Wild. Huh? Yeah, see, you didn't see me going there, did you? See, I still remember when I was, I think I was about six years old, and my parents drove up here. We came all the way up from Houghton Lake to go to the Call of the Wild Museum. And I went through there, and, and I, it, it did something to me. I never saw animals like that before, and when I heard them howling and doing all the noises they do in there and seeing their, their, uh, their stuffed silhouettes, man, it just changed me. And, and I had a, a real liking toward animals after that. So I guess you could say that I felt a call to the wild after that. And I still do today. I love the outdoors. And I believe it had something to do with that. And then back in 1988, my wife and I felt the call to go into full-time ministry. And, and it was kind of a different period of time for us. We felt like something was coming, but we didn't know what it was. And I worked at General Motors in their experimental test facility, and I'm, I'm running engines in the middle of the night. I work the midnight shift. And while I'm listening to them roaring and doing their I hear this voice. I want you to get ready. I did. I looked. What? <laughs> get ready for what? And then I realized it was a nudge from the Holy Spirit. And I said, me? Get ready? I want you to get ready, Norm, to go into ministry. So I start this conversation with them, and I said, but Lord, I work for General Motors. I have four boys, a wife to support. It's a great income through that company, and I had full health benefits back then. I mean, it was awesome. And he said, get ready. I said, all right. So I went home, and I told Barb, and of course, she got excited. I think I was excited but, you know, the men are usually a little more apprehensive. But I think, if I remember right, you, you leaped. Woohoo! You know how she is. You, you don't temper her enthusiasm. And we both agreed. All right, Lord, if you're going to do something, we'll, we'll wait on you. And a couple months later, the Lord showed up. And he provided a way for me to leave General Motors and to support us in order to go to Bible college. I wasn't expecting it, but it was a miracle. In fact, when my boss came to me, he goes, Norm, I know you're not going to want to do this, but General Motors wants to pay you to quit. They want to offer you a buyout. And I'm, I'm like, I got a big grin. 
as soon as he said it, I heard that voice, get ready. I said, all right, Lord, if this is you, we'll go through the, the steps. And I went to the meetings, and, and they told me what they were going to pay me, which was enough to put us through the first couple of years of college and buy a, a mobile home to live in while we were there. And you know what? It all worked out. The call. The call of God. Hallelujah. This is important. When one is called, he or she isn't called to a position. Rather, we're called into a relationship with Almighty God. See, I think too many of us, we get the idea that, oh, God called me into ministry. And it changes us for the worst. Because we start seeing our life as ministry rather than as serving the Master. And we need to keep that in our hearts and in our minds, that we're not serving the ministry. Right? We're serving the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I could have retired back in uh, 2007 with 30 years at General Motors. And I would have had a great pension. A lot of my family members did. My brother was able to retire, his wife. And they have a great income from it. Great retirement package. And you know, some people come to me and say, do you, do you regret ever doing that? And I just have to say, no. No. I got to do what I love to do. I get to serve the Lord each day in full-time ministry. Some of you guys, you have other jobs you do. And that doesn't mean that you're not serving the Lord in your job, whatever that is. I'm going to get to that in a little bit here. But what I want to say, though, is I don't ever regret heeding the call. My wife doesn't ever regret heeding the call. And that's important to understand. The call of Jesus on his disciples can be found in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we're not going to look at all those today. In fact, I'm going to go to Luke 5 here in a minute, but I'm going to talk about some other stuff first. I wanted to first say that you don't have to go into full-time ministry to be called by God. I think the Apostle Paul is a great testimony to that. You know, he still worked. He didn't ever want an income from what he was doing for the Lord, so he was a tent maker. A lot of our pastors today are. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I think both are needed. I think we need full-time ministers, and we also need those who are bivocational, as we like to call it. But Paul was a tent maker, and yet he served as one of the greatest missionary evangelists that we know of. And he did that while he kept his job. The Lord may call you to be his disciple while you run a, a job, a, a business. While you work in a factory. And, and you moms, while you work as a mom. And yes, I believe moms work. Oh yeah, you do. I wouldn't trade you for anything. I've seen what you do. I watched what my wife did while she raised our boys. I'm like... I'll gladly go to work and work seven days a week. Anybody else say amen? amen. Yeah, all the men. Some of the women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. 
In our case, we felt that I needed to quit GM and to go into full-time ministry, to go to Bible college. The important thing for us was to see that we were called to a body, of, to the body of Christ, not to uh, a specific ministry. Some of us forget that, and once we get into ministry, we start thinking it's all about us. It's all about that title that I have. And I hope you know me well enough to know that that title, I, I receive it, I accept it, it is what it is, all right? I'm the pastor of this church. But I never, ever think of myself as being higher than you guys. We're on equal plane here. What's most important is that we realize who we serve. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his ministry to the body. And we just get to play a small part in all of that. And I'm thankful for that. Don't feel just because he doesn't call you to be a pastor or an evangelist that you're not important. Because I believe the opposite is true. I really do. You are the salt and the light. You're the ones that go out there and you're in the midst of sometimes heathens. Maybe you've got other Christians around you, but not always. In fact, often not. And where is this world going to go? I don't know. I don't know what's next, what God has for us next. But I know this. He's still in control. He's still in charge. And we need to do our part, whatever that is. And I already said this, but if you're a business owner, then run that business as unto the Lord. If you're a, a mom, then raise your kids as unto the Lord. Whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. And, and again, uh, a verse that I often go to, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart as working for the Lord, not for, a ma for your masters. You don't work for that company. When I worked at General Motors, I, listen, GM sent me my paycheck, all right? But every day that I went in, I saw it as I'm serving him. I'm working for the Lord today. Everything I do represents Him. So if I do a horrible job today, then what's that say about the kingdom? Have you ever heard, oh, that Christian, he's lazy. I used to hear that all the time. And you know what? I, I vowed in my heart never to be that one. Never to be the guy that took a, a, a two-hour break when you were given an hour. That happened more than I care to admit. We have to be careful and remember who we're serving. Because you're serving the Lord. And then this last part of this, since you know that, oh, what? You will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Good passage to have written down. You moms, you might think that what you do isn't important, but how do you know that the next Billy Graham isn't right under your nose? And listen, I've seen some of your kids, and they're really energetic. And God can take that energy and use it to His glory. I've seen it happen more than once. So don't ever think that what you're doing isn't important, because it is. First thing I want you to get today is, and this is 
the main message. Jesus calls us to follow him. Can you say that with me? Jesus calls us to follow him. Two points as we begin reading from Luke, and I'm going to start with verse 1 here in a minute. First, we often don't understand the details when the Lord calls us. How many, the Lord says he wants you to do something. How many have ever gotten the whole picture all at once? Anybody? I don't see one hand going up in here. Because that's just the kind of God we serve. And what's that force us to do? To trust in Him. You know, like I said earlier, you take one step, oh, go through that open door, go through that open door, go through that open door, oop, that door's shut, go through this open door. You, you get what I'm saying? The steps of the Lord are guided by Him. And we have to recognize that because it, you get pretty frustrated if you decide you're going to heed the call of God and then you're like, now what? Just go through the open door. Don't expect He's going to give you the whole package. We thought we were going to be missionaries. Originally. Are we? Sort of. But we're not called missionaries. We are pastors. I never thought about that. I never thought I was going to be a children's pastor for almost 10 years. That was a God thing. We just kept going through the open doors that the Lord opened. Hallelujah. I'm sure that if the fishermen who the Lord is about to call, if they knew what was coming next, I'm, I'm almost positive they would have said, eh, I like fishing. I think they would have. If they had seen what was coming, the heartache, the beatings, the, the death eventually, they hadn't a clue what was coming at them. And yet, they still followed him. As I like to put it, the fishermen followed Jesus with what? Now, you might say, well, faith isn't really blind. You can't see it with your eyes. You can see it with the eyes of your heart, what God's going to do next. What is faith? faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in a sense, it's a blind faith. We trust God even though we don't see it in the natural, but we believe it's going to come to pass. And that's what these men did when Jesus said, follow me. The second part of this, the fishermen left everything behind. Now, I'm not suggesting that when you heed the call to God that you're supposed to give everything up. Now, in our case, we did. We, we had a beautiful new home, and we gave that up to go into the ministry. But not every person's called to do what we did. In fact, many are not. You're supposed to keep doing the things you're doing, living where you live, without having to give it up. However, let me just add this part. Nothing should be more important to you than Him. 
So when I say you have to give everything up, you do have to give everything up that would hold you back from putting him in first place. Whatever that might be. Might be golfing, fishing, whatever it is. Excuse me. Does that make sense? Do you get that part? All right. So let's jump into this. The disciples were going to be asked to give up their career, if you will, their fishing career. And I, I know for a fact that would be hard because I love to fish. I'm wearing my fishing shirt today. Guess why? I'm going fishing afterwards. <laughs> Me and my pastor son, Cameron, are going to go out. Luke 5.1, and I'm reading from the NLT. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. You have to realize they didn't have loudspeakers like we have. All right, so how many know that half of us are probably just about deaf? And a lot of you are wearing hearing aids. Back then they didn't have hearing aids. So what would you do if you couldn't hear well? Get closer. <laughs> and, and they were pretty much getting so close to Jesus that they were crushing him. And he had to get out, get out and get into a boat so he could put out a little bit. Plus, it would allow him to project a little better. You know, assuming that they didn't have waves crashing in on, on the, the lake shore that day. I'm assuming it's, it was calm. The other thing that I wanted to, to point out was that Jesus didn't demand that Simon Peter put out. He asked, would you put out? Some of the versions say he asked Peter if he could use his boat. God is a gentleman, and as such, he will never force us to follow him or do anything that would be against our will. There is a saying, many are called, but few are chosen. What that says to me is, we can resist God for a lifetime, or... We can serve him for an eternity. And I think that's really good to understand as we get into this. And by the way, Jesus didn't step into a boat haphazardly. He stepped into Simon Peter's boat. Who was Simon Peter? He was the one that Jesus would one day say, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. That was not a coincidence that Jesus stepped into Peter's boat that day. God had all this set up. And it's little details with God. It's the little things that you notice. And it, it just unfolds like a beautiful, beautiful tapestry. I love how God moves. And some of the things that he does. Okay, all the things he does. Oh, not all the things. I got to admit, there are some times when I don't like what God's doing. I'm just being honest. But it's for my benefit. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper 
and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Oh my. Are there any fishermen in here? If somebody tells you, just assume, you've been out for six, eight hours, normal time for us to be out. And at the end of that, you're exhausted, you didn't catch anything. It doesn't happen very often with us, just saying. But you get out of the boat and you're just exhausted, you've been, the sun's been beating down on you. And then somebody says, hey, go over there and put down a little deeper. You'll catch them. What would you be thinking? Really? Just saying. But Simon Peter, he must have felt the stirring. Do you ever feel that stirring in your gut? When you know that the Lord's talking to you, and I call it the gut, I don't know what else to call it. That's what we've always called it in the church. But it's like the voice of God saying, hey, go do this. And it just feels right. And we call that here feeling, the feeling in our gut that God's telling us to do something. Peter must have felt that. Because he was a professional. And here this carpenter from Nazareth is telling him how to fish. <laughs> I could imagine a few other things coming out of his mouth, but it was God, so I'm sure it it didn't. Anyway, back to the story. Let me ask you this. How many times has the Holy Spirit said something to you go do this, and you resisted? Just one more time. Ah, oh, Lord, I'm too tired. And it reminds me of the story of Naaman, a general in the Old Testament, a commander of, of a big army who had gotten leprosy. And he was dying, and, and his, his king didn't want him to die. He wanted something good for this man. So what did he do? He sent him to go see the prophet. Go see Elijah. All right? And when he got there, Elijah, maybe this was God's humility thing. I don't know. And by the way, this is in uh, 2 Kings 5. When he got there, Elijah didn't come out. Now, this is a general. All right? He expected people to bow to him. He had a whole army at his beck and call. And what the the man of God do? He sent his servant out to tell him. (laughs) That was a slap in the face. And then he says to him, I want you to go dip in the river seven times. That's not bad enough, but the river was filthy. It was dirty. And this general knew it. And, and what did he say? He said, Nuh-uh. I'm, are you crazy? I'm not dipping in that stupid, dirty river. And finally, 
Some of his men convinced him. You know, if he'd, if he'd asked you to go defeat 100,000 warriors, you would have done it. This is my paraphrase. But you won't go dip in the river seven times. And they finally talked him into doing it. And of course, we know the, the outcome was what? He was healed of leprosy because he followed what the man of God said to do. Backing this up again. How many times has the Holy Spirit tried to get us to do something? We've been praying for a miracle, but we just keep backing it up, backing, well, Lord, I don't know if I want to do that. And here's my point. If the Holy Spirit challenged you to do something that seems crazy, and you know it's from the Lord, preface that, (laughs) just do it. The outcome is going to be to your advantage. I believe that with all my heart. If he tells you put down the net, if he tells you pull the net up, whatever he tells you, if he tells you to dip in the rivers 27 times or whatever, then do it. When the Holy Spirit directs it, the result will will always be to your advantage. Look at the result for Peter and the other fishermen. And this time, (laughs) their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Can you get the picture? These men are pulling this thing up, and the boat's trying to tip over. It's so heavy. We just watched uh, uh, Alaskan something or other last night. There's so many of them now, I forget the names of them. And and these, these people were... So excited, they had three fish in their net. These guys, their net was breaking. It was so full. They had to get the other boat over there to help them pull it out because there were so many fish in their net. Our God is not a half-full kind of God. Our God is a God that goes beyond the limits beyond our comprehension. He is filled to the brim and overflowing. A God who works miracles on behalf of those who follow Him. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they'd caught, as were the others with him. They were awestruck. It's another one of those adjectives that when you are in the presence of greatness, your knees get wobbly. This man realized there was something different about this guy that just preached from the front of the boat. He recognized that this wasn't any normal human being. He'd soon figure out he was the son of God. Wow. Can you imagine being there? Peter had one of those moments where he recognized that Jesus was more than a mere man. He was awestruck. I would guess that 
their nets probably had enough fish in them to supply their needs for at least a month, maybe two, when you really think about it. Two boats to bring it in. That's a lot of fish. They could have sold them at the market. But I believe for Peter it was more than that. The glory of God was standing in front of him and it made him feel inadequate. You know, we need moments like that. Moments where we realize we're nothing but filth. We're just these tiny little specks. And I don't, you've heard me say this many times, I believe we're God's masterpiece. But when we're in his presence, we're nothing. We're nothing. And when we get there that day, when that day comes and we're standing in heaven, we're in front of him, I promise you nobody's going to be pushing the boundaries. They're going to be like, now what? You know, we're going to be afraid to look up. Now that may go away after a season, but I think when we first meet Jesus face to face, it's going to be one of those, Master, what do I do now? Because of his greatness, the glory of God filled him. Hallelujah. Pretty cool, huh? His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishermen of people. <laughs> you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Wow, what a story. What a story. They left everything and followed Jesus. They left their profession, their calling to follow Jesus in that instant. Jesus said, you were fishers of men. Now I'm going to show you how to be fishers. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You were fishers of fish. Now I'm going to show you how to be fishers of men. Oh, hallelujah. I like fishing for both. It's important to realize that the 12 that represented the fishermen here, that they were the foundation of the church. And the Lord had to pick them right if the church was going to survive. They had to be all in if the kingdom was going to come on earth as it is in heaven. And according to this scripture, they were. They left everything and followed him. Another passage in Matthew 16, it says this, and this is what he said later to his disciples. He said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. And he said, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And, and those words probably didn't mean a whole lot to the people if they were just listening, but when you recognized what Jesus was asking of you, in, in moder a modern context, when you realize what the Lord is saying, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross to do that. What is that saying? What? It's hard. It's work. 
You're going to be attacked. If you give up your life for Him, you will gain it. But if you try to keep your life and you ignore what He's trying to do in it, you'll lose it. Kind of chilling. When Jesus calls you to follow Him, you must be willing to give everything up for Him. When Jesus calls you to follow Him, you must be willing to give everything up. Are you ready? Are you willing? In 1 Kings 19, you don't have to turn there, but we read about how Elijah felt the call of the Lord upon his life. Elijah was someone that he honored and he wanted to be like him. And I believe that Elijah was a a picture of Christ, future tense, a shadow of what was to come in Christ. And Elijah wanted what Elijah had. And one day, Elijah came walking up to him while he was out plowing the fields behind his 12 oxen running the, have you ever seen those if you if you get down around Claire you'll see some of the Amish still doing the same thing that Elijah would have been doing getting behind that plow while those big old horses pulled that thing through well in this case he had ox 12 oxen all right in this prophet comes walking up to him, takes his mantle, and he just kind of flings it at him and hits him on the shoulder with it. Then he walks away. (laughs) How many of you would be going, huh? And there were a bunch of other ones out there. There were 12 ox teams out there. So he was just one of them. All these other guys had to have seen this. What's, What's the old man doing? It's pretty cool. Let me put this up behind me. 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went out and found Elijah, son of Shaphat. I had to look that one up. Plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elijah was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and he threw his cloak across his shoulders and then he walked away. Who does that? I, I get a picture of Elijah. Elijah. This, I, I don't want to say he was arrogant, but sometimes you get that feeling. It's like, you know what? You're wasting my time. <laughs> I don't want to do this, Lord. I'm going to walk out, I'm going to hit him, I'm leaving. What, what happens next? Elijah left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Now, a lot of the translations are different on on what he says back to him, but in this one it says, Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. Some of them say, what have I done to you? (laughs) In other words, really, 
I just came out here, I gave you the time of day, and you're going to tell me you're going back home to kiss your mommy and daddy goodbye. We got work to do, son. Let's get going. And I love what Elijah did. So Elijah returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. He honored the call. Now, we're not all called like that today, obviously. But this is similar to how God calls us. And a couple of things that I wanted to point out here. The biggest one is, when following God, one does not have a plan B. Notice what he did with his ox and his plow. He had, he had himself a little cookout, right? And not only did he have a cookout, but he had it with all of the townspeople. Every one of them would be going, Elijah, what, dude, what are you doing? And he would be able to say, I'm following the Lord. I've just been called into the ministry. If he ever went back to his village and got behind a plow again, what would those people say? Hey, weren't you the one following the Lord? What happened? He didn't have a plan B. So he, had, he feasted on those ox so everybody would know, everybody would be able to hold him accountable for the decision to follow the Lord that he had made. Number two, the disciple's source is always God. It can't be what your own hands can produce. God is way bigger than that. When you're called into the ministry, you better know that God is your source. Can I pick on Brother Larry? Do you remember when we were first here, year and a half in or so, and we couldn't, we, we sent the last check out for the church. You remember that? And, and he was on the board back then, and, and we're, we're weeping before the Lord. Lord, I know that you called us there. I know that you said you would raise this church back up again. But we were in dire straits, and we just began to pray and to weep before the Lord. God was our source. Not people, not men or women, not businesses. God was our source. And I decided that I needed to call, and, and all the, they were still in the room. I decided I needed to call Lansing, our oversight at the time, and just let them know what was going on. And I, I said, Bruce, I said, I just want you to know we're, we're, in, we're in trouble. I said, we're trusting God, but we just wrote the last check for the mortgage, and we've got nothing left in our bank account. And Bruce, he goes, oh, Norm, you're ruining it. And I said, what? He goes, we just sent you a check for $50,000. It should be in your mailbox tomorrow. 
Hallelujah. Who was our source? It wasn't Lansing Mount Hope. That wasn't why I called them, by the way. In fact, I prefaced that day. I said, I'm not calling you for money. I just want you to know. In case we have to close the doors, I didn't want it to blindside you. But we're trusting the Lord that he's got this. And I'm telling you, you could have heard us in Lansing that next day. <laughs> well, you could have heard us that night because we were just like, woohoo! Kind of like Barb when I told her we were called into the ministry. The disciples' source is always God. Elijah never looked back. The fishermen that followed Jesus never looked back. Or did they? <laughs> We're going to look at that next week. I have a short video and then I'm going to come up and close. This is called The Calling. stand with me. I began with we are first called to follow Jesus. That's, that's this whole title for this week. That means we must count the cost. That means that you and I have no plan B. We follow by faith. If you want to call it blind faith, whatever. We follow by faith. That means we become a disciple of Christ. We become a learner. A learner is someone who studies the one that they're learning from. How do you do that? You get your Bibles out, online, hard copy, whatever. You pray. You ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. You commune with God. Very important. The disciple must know that he or she is the most important thing going on in their life. 
when God calls you, yes, He's going to use you. You're going to be a tool in His hand, but you are what's important. He chooses to use us to, to go after this world, to be the light in the dark, the salt in this world. We have to recognize that He wants to have a beautiful relationship with us. The more of Him that we have in us, the more we can minister to others. But if we're nothing but a, a valley of dry bones, if we're nothing but a desert in our own hearts, what do we have to give to anybody else? And that's what I'm trying to say here, is to be a disciple is to be intimate with the Lord. I don't have time to get into it today, but think about it. The twelve stayed with Jesus for three years. They lived with Him. They ate with Him. They bathed with Him. They prayed with Him. That's the kind of relationship the Holy Spirit wants to have in us, with us, through us. Would you let Him? I'm going to close with this verse. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and the kingdom of God. Harsh words, they are. What's he mean? What's he mean? When the Lord calls us, he doesn't want us waffling between the two worlds. One day you're in the world, one day you're serving heaven. The next day you're in the world, the next day you're serving heaven. He wants you to be all in, serving Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body. That's how we love Him. But there are believers who I think fall into this trap where one day they're serving the Lord, the next day they're not. One day they're serving. just depends on the, the temperature. Or whatever. So I'm here to encourage you today. Follow Him. Heed the calling that He's put on your life. He has so much for us to do. Would, would you agree with me that this world needs Jesus? Who do you think he's going to use to get him? Us. The body of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why he created the church. Father, again, we are humbled to be here today. And Lord, I know myself, I've messed up before. I've, I've had one foot in the world, one foot in, the, in heaven, and, and I've gone back and forth before, and I ask your forgiveness, Lord, if that's me. Lord, I pray for those who are watching online. I pray for this audience that's in front of me. If anybody here would say, yes, that's me, would you just lift your point, up, point up north, up, not north, north, but up, <laughs> yeah, vertical. Many hands went up. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. We recognize our weakness. And I know the disciples, we'll get into this next week, I know the disciples messed up more than once. 
and yet you still loved him. And I ask that today, Lord, for each of us. Forgive us for our many sins, Lord, our trespasses. Make us righteous. Cleanse us, Lord, of our unrighteousness. Lord, I pray for those at home that if anyone there that's watching today would say, yeah, that's me. Lord, that you would minister to them in their homes as only you can. Heal them, Lord. And as we repent of our sins, Lord, I pray that you would do something new and grand in our lives. Use us, Lord. But first of all and foremost, Lord, may we begin that relationship with you, that intimate relationship that you so desire with us. May we forget about ministry and church and and, and all that other stuff and just begin at the very root of this relationship, and that is that we must know you intimately if we're ever to minister to others. It's not about ministry. It's not about position in the church. Lord, it's about Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled, Lord, with the enduing power of God. Let it be so, Lord. Fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.